and welcome to Mumming It, the podcast where we chat all things parenthood. I'm Harriet Shearsmith and I am indeed mumming it in my way with my three kids, but I want to know what that looks like for other parents. If you like the podcast, don't forget to check out my book, also called Mumming It, available in all good bookshops and online. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is a very, very special friend of mine. She is a best-selling author, a podcaster, a mum of three, and an absolute social media powerhouse. One of my favourites, it is Tova Lee. Hi Tova. Hello, hello. Hi, so good to be a guest on your podcast. I'm, well, wait, I was about to say I'm good, but I just told you that I'm not good, so I'm not going to lie. Let's not lie. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us why you're not good, because I'm pretty sure that everybody can relate to it. Well, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but at the moment, two out of my three kids are self-isolating because of the confirmed cases of Mm. COVID in their classes, which basically means we're back to homeschooling and it just falls on you you know like this ton of bricks on the most stressful busy week (laughs) yeah it can't happen on a week when you're like I've got nothing on it's fun it's cool it always happens when it is literally the most stressful time and Toby I didn't actually say this to you just before we started recording but Ruben got sent home on Friday because he was coughing and actually I think it was hay fever so we are as we're recording this two weeks away from the end of term and I think it's that point now where everybody's a bit fed up of kids being sent home everybody's a bit fed up of bubbles and just it's a nightmare for so many and Ruben got sent home because he was coughing and instantly I was like oh my god panic I know one of the teachers has got a child who's got immune problems and I was thinking oh god you know I've sent him in he wasn't coughing this morning of course I picked him up and he goes well I did cough before you came downstairs I was like oh brilliant double whammy make me sound like a great parent for letting you come downstairs on your own and get your own breakfast on a weekday and two it sounds wonderful for sending you in coughing cheers mate but he wasn't coughing at all and then when we brought him home he hardly coughed long story short he had his test and we got the results back the next day that he was negative and we think it was hay fever but it cancelled Toby's football training because we all had to self-isolate until we got the results that was already cancelled because the kids who we were meant to be having a big party for afterwards their dad was positive for COVID and they're meant to be flying to another country soon and then it cancelled a big event that Adam had planned so it was just wreaked havoc and it could not have been a worse weekend and that's always the case so I feel your pain I feel like there's never, though, when you think about it, never a good time for them to just be home (laughs) during the week when you didn't plan for it. And I just want to say, I think the fact that your kids go downstairs and make their own breakfast does not make you a failure of a mom. It makes you a genius. (laughs) My God. Come around to my house, teach my kids to go down and get their own breakfast. I love it. Yes, yes, yes. It is literally (laughs) just Ruben. In fairness to him, he will get himself some breakfast if he's really, really hungry. But nine times out of 10, he will just sit there and either play games or watch the TV. And he doesn't come down particularly early. And I sometimes hear him go down. The teacher sort of looked at me as if to say, okay, I don't know how she's doing things in her house. But he's 10 now. And I love that he goes down and gives himself a bit of independence. He feels like a grown up doing it so yeah I saw a really good meme yesterday actually and it was something along the lines of I'm going to ruin it now but it was something along the lines of my kids like are so smart they can develop an app but they can't you know pour a bowl of cereal (laughs) 
fact that is my child right like he oh he somehow managed to connect to my youtube channel and post an eight minute video of himself doing like a transformers thing and i was like oh yeah okay you've posted a video thinking you'd just record it and he went no no mommy it's live look and he posted it onto my youtube channel all from his ipad (laughs) Oh, wow. Like, oh, have you done this? So yeah, yeah, that was dramatic, but he could. Wow. He could easily write an app. Exactly. You know, but they can't pour else. themselves a bowl of cereal. It goes everywhere and everybody's screaming. And, yeah. Uh... That sounds like an average morning, to be fair. Exactly. <laughs> we are going to chat today about your upcoming book. And we are going to yeah. chat about all things <laughs> taboo. One of the things that I love that you do online is you confront the taboo like head on. You don't hold back from it you go straight in there and it doesn't matter what it is whether it's discussing anything whether it's discussing women's rights whether it's discussing female pleasure there's just so many things that you talk about online that are taboo how do you find the confidence to do it and just plow through the negativity that you get back funny because I think it really has to do with the response of my community I don't think like when I started my blog in 2015 I thought, oh, I'm going to be that person who talks about masturbation on the internet. <laughs> Wasn't the intent? <laughs> no, like I really didn't think that that would be it. But I feel like it was like a gradual thing. And I think every time I opened the door to something that was less kind of mainstream or less maybe talked about or less obvious, whatever, the response was always so positive. And I realized, wow, people want to talk about this. Like people are hiding. They've got shame. They've got guilt for feeling in certain ways or they don't feel comfortable to talk about certain things. So that actually gave me the courage to speak more about these things. Like it was never some sort of mission to just be that person that Mm. talks about things that maybe other people don't talk about so much. And I definitely wasn't trying to draw attention to myself in doing that. Like that wasn't the intention either, but it just happened. And it does link into my book, You Did What? Because the whole book is secrets and confessions Mm. from the same community that's been the biggest support that I could have ever imagined and the community that gave me the courage to talk about all these things. So the book is full with secrets about, you know, your sex life, kind of like sex escapades gone wrong. (laughs) All the hilarious Um, things that we just don't normally talk about, which honestly, uh, they're the best things. They're the best. such a giggle talking about them. I feel like it's very important because I'm lucky I have some really good girlfriends. And I think I took that for granted. I took it Mm. for granted that everybody has the same type of friendships, you know, whereby you can come out and just say your, you know, your most shocking truth and it would be okay. They would be received with kind of like compassion, understanding and, and also feedback, like, you know, some other shocking truths that make you feel good about yourself, you know, but not everybody has that. And I didn't realize that at the beginning. And then I, I got that feedback from my community to say, God, I wish I had that. Like, I don't have that. I don't have those friends. Like I don't have that place. So that was another reason why I think people came to the places that I allowed that to happen, like pajama party and confessions and like my shows, even, you know, people were confessing things in my shows and standing up and owning it. And people would clap. And it was like this (laughs) therapeutical kind of experience for people. And I think it's because not everybody has that in their real life. No, I don't think they do. And I think there's something really powerful about having a judgment-free zone where people can just go, you know what, this is how I feel about this. And actually that isn't what most people would think. And that isn't the message that I've been told that I should have whether it be that message of perfect motherhood how everybody really enjoys it and you're so in love with your kids and it's so wonderful and it's so happy and you just want to stand up and go Aah! 
anymore. I hate it. It's having that spot that is totally judgment free. And I Mm. feel that on your social medias. And I feel that with you as a person, you're a really open person and easy to chat to. How do you pass that on to your kids? Because it's quite difficult to be so open and be so communicative and free to talk. I think I'm lucky that everything that's happened in the past five or six years with the online stuff actually led me to where I am now, because maybe, you know, maybe if it hadn't, then maybe I would be a different parent. I don't know. But also a big chunk of what I did in the last few years was personal. It was a personal journey. You know, I call it my midlife crisis, but it kind of happened in my 40s. And I wrote a whole other book about that. You know, my first book was really about that period in my life. One of the biggest conclusions that I reached in that process was that I really have only one kind of job in this world, and that is to just be me. And I think after a lot of years, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, maybe even more so women, I'm not sure, but after so many years of really, really trying to be other things. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. Yeah, to just be what I thought I was supposed to be or what people expected me to be or, you know, and it it goes back to how you were raised. You know, I was raised to be the good girl, the one that was going to be a lawyer. You know, a lot of expectations were placed on me. And then you get it from society, especially if you're a woman. And that links to body image and even the tone of your voice. You know, I I realize how recently the tone of my voice has dropped. It's Mm. dropped to where it really is. And for years, I talked a bit more high like that because that's kind of like, yeah. And I sort of, it all led me to a conclusion being, I just really just need to be me. So I'm hoping that my children see me. And by the way, me is a lot of things, you know, me is also really shitty and me is also (laughs) really shouty and me is really selfish sometimes. And I'm so many things, you know, but I hope, I hope that one day what it will stay with them is that they can just be themselves, you know, and that it's okay. And that all those sides of them that society or whoever says, oh, you shouldn't be that way or you should hide those things, they don't need to. The people who love you and are in your life hopefully accept you for who you are, you know, as long as you're not abusive and you're not Mm -hmm. harming people, like hopefully they're there and they love you for who you are and they accept you. And that's kind of how it links into motherhood for me. Um, You get to that point, don't you? For me, it started already where I've started to sort of go, fuck it a bit more. And I feel a bit more like when you get to your 30s or your 40s, you start to think, actually, you know what? I've never really enjoyed being this person that I think I should be. How about I just try being this person that I actually am? (laughs) You know, actually, no, I don't like doing that. So I'm not going to do it, even if you think I should do it. And I'm just going to enjoy myself. And actually, I quite like going to the cinema or I quite like doing this on my own so sod it I'm just gonna go and do it and I don't think especially as women and especially when we become mums as well there's so much more expectation put on you when you become a mother to behave a certain way dress a certain way act a certain way and I don't think that when you are a mum you really feel quite like yourself for those first few years do you know what I mean sure yeah you kind of feel like you lose yourself you totally lose yourself totally I think, you know, you hit something really important was the age thing. Are you in your 40s? 30s. So I I really relate to that. Like I feel when I reached my 40s, you use the word fuck it. I use it all the time. It's so true. Mm. It's really the fuck it decade. And I think that happens for, (laughs) yeah. And it happens for a lot of women because you reach the point where, you know, your 20s, you're supposed to be cute. And then your 30s, you're supposed to be Mother Teresa and like the best mom. (laughs) And then you reach your 40s and the kids are a bit 
bit older and you sort of have given up on this idea to be cute through a male gaze and you just go actually what I perceive as sexy or powerful when I look at other women is not what I thought it was in my 20s it's a different thing and you just go fuck it and I love that I think the idea that women fade away as we get old and we should sort of disappear somewhere in the shadows and like women don't age well and all that type of bullshit is like a conspiracy theory Mm. because in my opinion it's the complete opposite I think women get so much better in age I'm so fascinated by women as we get older like it's just amazing so yeah I can totally relate to the fuck it (laughs) yeah relate to the fuck it and I mean I don't know maybe I'm just getting it early because I'm I'm hitting fucking yeah. now but like I'm 32 and even in the last couple of years I've seen a drastic change in the way that I look at myself and the way that yeah. I think about things and the way I think actually I don't relate to a lot of what I did in my 20s and I don't know if it's as well because I had my kids a bit younger I was 21 22 when I had Reuben so mm. I've reached that stage now where Reuben is 10 and I'm kind of in that parenting limbo where he really needs me for so many things. He's not independent. He's not older. He's not self-sufficient or anything like that. However, I'm kind of taking a back seat a bit more now. He said to me the other Mm. day, I want to go to the cinema with my friend. I was like, oh, cool. We can take him. And he was like, no, I want to go to the cinema with him. And I was like, okay, well, I can take you both. And he was like, yeah, but we'll go in a new way. Yeah. I was thinking, what is this kid getting at? Is he getting at the whole don't be there thing? And he fully was. And it was the first time I really, really realized that I've been relegated to a passenger. Wow. Not even a passenger. Not even a driver. I'm the driver, I'm a bloody chauffeur. And it was the first time that I'd actually realized that I'm in this kind of parenting limbo where he still needs me for so much. So I don't have that full freedom to explore myself completely as a woman whose children have grown up and flown the nest. And we never talk about this period where your kids have not flown the nest yet, but you're also kind of surplus to requirements a lot of the time. Like they're just doing their own thing. And you're there expected to be doing the things they need but you're not necessarily what they want anymore. And I think it's a really tricky period. Totally. My eldest is 10. So there's definitely changes now. She had her first sleepover. Next year, they're doing the school trip. So they're going over for five nights. I feel like I'm going to be that mom that does kind of cry. And I saw your post on Instagram. Like I felt it so hard. Like, because I'm the mom that said, God, I wish sometimes they would just leave me alone and fuck off and all of that. And I do feel that with every fiber of my... (laughs) It's a real deep feeling. (laughs) Yeah. But at the same time, time like I desperately love them and can't even imagine what it would be like when they do fly the nest I have followers who are older obviously women in their 50s and 60s will write in and say to me don't you worry Tova like by the time they reach 18 you'll be counting the minutes you know (laughs) it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay so we'll see but you know going back to the 40s and just that kind of fuck it the other factor I just wanted to mention was how I do think that once you reach that kind of 40 45 ish of your life And I'm 45 now, by the way. I love how I still talk about myself like I'm just 40. (laughs) (laughs) That was a realization. The penny drops for you then. You're like, shit, no, I am. It's that kind of like, wow, I'm here for an X amount of time. I'm Mm. running out of time. I don't have time for the bullshit. Like, I just don't have time for it. I don't have time. You know, like, I want to live my life. I got things I want to do. You know, I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm not going to sink into those uh, that you feel like you have eternity to do in your 20s. I don't. So I just want to get on with shit, you know? Like you say, you don't. I can imagine the realization will hit you hard that you don't 
have that time. You know, you get this one shot yeah. at this life. And do you really need to spend it constantly pandering to an ideal that is just not you? Yeah. No. And that links into body image, which I know you talk about a lot. You know, there's so many aspects of body image that can be explored, but that definitely is one main factor for me. You know, a lot of women message me and they go like, how, but how do you like have the courage to wear a bikini? And I'm thinking because, oh my God, like I just don't have time to sort of fixate mm-hmm. now anymore about like, I just want to go to the beach. I saw a swimsuit I like, I'm going to wear it. And that's not taking away from how difficult that struggle is because it was for many, yeah. many years. I can relate on every level, but like there was a moment that I reached and many things changed. One of them also being like, why do I have to love every single part of my body? Why can't I just appreciate it? It's a different type of pressure. It's less pressure. You know, yeah. it's just go like, it's doing its job. Tick, you know, it's more like a um, functional thing, isn't it? Like yeah. a bit of body neutrality. Like it's there. Yes, I don't have to be there. in love with it. No, but it's no. doing its function. And for that, I'm it's doing grateful. its function. Done. Totally. Yeah. You know, I love what you do on your page. Lots of people do body image, but what I love about what you do is that you bring so much joy into it. You know, you, there's you. that big smile, there's music, it feels happy. And I think it is about joy. It's a joyful thing to go to the beach. We're very lucky to be able to yeah. do things and have healthy bodies that can take us places and do things. So yeah. it's about celebrating that and sort of rejecting the ideas that were projected on us for so many years of like, it's all about what it looks like. It's all about what it yeah. looks like. And this is what it's supposed to look like, blah, blah, blah. A hundred percent. Bizarrely for me, after I had kids is when I really started to think, fuck it, when it came to my body. And that was really when I started to look at more how I felt and don't get me wrong I struggled for so long and I know we've talked about this on your podcast about how my body image was and I got into some really toxic dieting traits and I get asked all the time what are your top tips there was never one thing that really struck me I think I just realized that I was no happier in my body as a size 8 to 10 still hung up about stuff still looking for approval and still thinking oh I don't like this I don't like that bubble. And yet I was fucking starving as well. And I think I just Mm -hmm. suddenly realized that I don't need this. I can be happy at any size because the happiness is going to come from within me and who I am and how I enjoy myself. It's such a process and it's also a roller coaster. I think a lot of people give the impression, especially when they talk online a lot about body positivity, that they've made it and that they're body positive and that they're body confident and that they've got lots of self-love. And they always seem to forget to share the times when they're not feeling it because there'll Mm -hmm. be so many days when I'm maybe not feeling it and I just think, okay, I'm just grateful that my body's going to get me through the day and that's it. And I don't Mm -hmm. have to feel, like you say, joyful. And I try really hard to let that show that there's times when I am up and down with it still because old habits die hard. But becoming Mm -hmm. a mum was really a time for me when I started to think, okay, I don't want to pass this on to my kids. And especially Mm -hmm. after I had a daughter as well. I know you have three girls, don't you? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge part, I would imagine, for you when it comes to your body positivity and your confidence. Yes, completely. But I also think like I couldn't fake it. I don't think it would work because I think kids are perceptive and they would know that I'm faking it, you know? So it wasn't like it was because of them. 
that I did what I did. It was just my journey and I'm happy that it took me where it took me. And yeah, I grew up in a house where, you know, my mom was on a constant diet. Like dieting was very much part of our day-to-day life. And she really struggled. Again, looking back when I think about it, like my mom was really not a big woman, like in shape or form. But I suppose compared to her figure before she had three children in a very short space of time, obviously her figure changed. But that's another thing that needs to be normalized. That just the idea that bodies change, they change throughout life. They change because of aging. They change because of gravity. They change because of the sun and they change also because uh, pregnancy and, and childbirth. And actually, you know, a lot of our society is like geared on turning back the wheels. Like it's always about turning back the wheels. So turning back the wheels to when you were young or turning back the wheels to where before you were pregnant, you know, and I just think, well, no, actually what we need to work on is just accepting that there are a lot of different body types and they're all valid. And we just talked about it just before the recording started. I started going to this all women pond to swim and I love going there a because it's lovely and it's great. But actually one of my secret reasons that I like going there is because you really do see women at their most raw state. These are women who showed up to an environment that's all women. And I do believe that women are different when it's just women rather than when there's one man in the room changes a lot of dynamics. It really does. does. So you see women, not through male gaze, not performing, not Mm. just being completely themselves. And there's a lot of nudity there because obviously women are getting changed by women. Uh So there's no inhibitions. And then you go, my God, even the idea that there are body types, you know, you're a pear shape, you're a silhouette, you're like this or like that is all bullshit. Yeah. That was just made up. That was just made up by the fashion industry yes. because they wanted to have four or five different cuts. Yeah. But in real life, there are a million body types. Yeah. No two bodies, in fact, are the same. And trust me, I've looked that people probably <laughs> think I'm this creep weirdo that just stares at people's bodies. But I'm on a mission. I want to find two set of boobs that look exactly the same. You and never I you haven't. Yeah, you're just Never not going to do it. Uh, yeah, two bums that look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Can't find it. And I, I keep thinking to myself, I can't wait for my kids, my girls to be 16 because you can't take kids there. So yeah. I can take them there as an experiment to show them. And sometimes I'll do it on the street when people are clothed. Like, you know, we talk about these things all the time. So they'll say, oh, you know, here, look at this woman here on the news, uh, on the bus. She's pretty. Her hair is perfect. Her eyes are symmetrical. Like, and I'll go, right now, look around you on the street. Look how diverse people are. Look at how they're different heights and different sizes and their hair is different. And that is the real world. But this Mm. is the reality. It's not What you see on that picture is not real. It's airbrushed. Mm -hmm. It's not real. Like I think you have to have those conversations from such an early age because at the end of the day, it's everywhere. We are having these conversations all the time. Again, I don't know what's going to happen to them in their teen years. They're affected by so many other things, not just what we do at home. Mm. But I'm hoping, hoping, hoping I'm giving them enough tools to be able to filter it yeah who knows (laughs) to be able to step away from the the idea that they have to be a certain way because like you say nobody ever looks the same and I remember for years when I was a teenager I had all the books that were like oh you're a pear shape you should dress this way or you should dress that way yeah and it's just such bullshit I remember one book that I really loved and I think the authors since have come out and said actually looking back on it that was a really bad idea that we wrote that I think it was a (laughs) Trini and Susanna book it was very much you're an hourglass figure so you can't wear this and you can't wear that we just wouldn't do it now but it's no yes. better and do better isn't it and that's the way yeah. that life is now we know better and so we do better and it's living in restrictions rather mm. in like a land of options so when I wrote my first book 
book, I talk about like the different things that I did. And one thing that I did, it doesn't sound big, but for me, it was really massive was that I went on this kind of like shopping, um, you know, spree with a friend who's very, very like has a really good eye for fashion. And I said to her, could you pick out things for me? Like, I don't want to pick things because I realized that for the past 20 years, I've been basically wearing the same dress because I know which cut is good for me. And that Mm -hmm. is the only thing I buy. So when I go shopping, I'm not excited. When I go shopping, I'm depressed because I know that I can only pick three dresses in the whole shop. And then if I find like the right cut, I'll just buy it in different colors. And my whole wardrobe was just not inspired at all. So I took my friend and she selected the most outrageous outfits and things that I would have never picked out for myself. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, none of this is going to look nice. No, 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 no. But you know what? I mean, at least half of them surprised me. You know, at least half of them were a bit like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see this. This is okay. And it changed my perspective. So now when I walk into a shop, I go, right, what colors do I like? What fabrics are nice? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't really think so much about the cut until I have a chance to put it on me with the right shoe, style it, kind of get beyond that thinking of like, this is not the right cut for me and just focus more on the other things that I do like. Is this making me happy? You know, whatever. Exactly. Does this bring me joy? Yeah. Yeah. Does this bring me joy? Does yeah. it bring me joy? And I've always thought of clothes as like a form of self-expression and yeah. something like an extension of my personality. And I love bright colors and I love standing yeah. out. And I get so many messages from women who will say, I will only wear like dark clothes, dark leggings yeah. because I don't want to stand out. I get it because I've been in that mentality, but it cuts out so much joy. And that's yes. what we're living for. We're living for the joyful moments. Yeah. Talk to me a bit more about your new book. So what okay. is is your favorite thing in it. Just give us a bit more information about, give us the juice on it. <laughs> I give you the juice. So You Did What is basically a collection of confessions and outrageous stories, secrets from all around the world. And that is, I think the part of it that I'm most proud about is the fact that my community is so global and the confessions are so global. Yeah. There are confessions here from America, the UK, Canada, Australia, India, Indonesia. I mean, Israel, Greece, like anywhere you can think of we have something (laughs) for everyone and it was born off the back of pajama party and confessions which was a facebook thing i did weekly for years every friday night i would just sit on my bed get drunk and read out confessions that people (laughs) sent to me i started doing that because you know as a new parent i didn't go out much and i figured there'd be other parents in the same situation where they want to do something on a friday night but getting a babysitter is difficult you maybe you can't afford it at the moment and all that type of things it just gravitated like all these parents from around the world who would just kind of hang out on a Friday and just have a laugh. But there was one rule and the rule was no judgment, that no matter what I read out, people wouldn't judge. And of course you do get the odd kind of, oh my God, that's awful. But nobody yeah. engages with that. Nobody goes there. Everybody kind of knows don't that it's more about- Don't feed the troll kind of thing. Yeah, we don't feed yeah. it. Everybody knows that it's actually about having that moment of vulnerability and being brave enough to say something that maybe is a bit out there or even just not necessarily out there, just a bit vulnerable, you know? Mm. So a lot of the confession are funny. Some of them are not funny. Some of them are really actually quite heartbreaking even. And we used to do competition 
brands and prizes and all that yeah. thing. And then I felt like after five years of doing it, you know what? We should make a book. Like I should make a book. And I reached out to my community and they sent in thousands of confessions. And obviously I went through all of them and selected ones that I really liked uh, yeah. that I thought represented the sort of the feel that I wanted to kind of give out there. And I wrote a lot of sections in the book, obviously why I wanted to write this book and obviously shared my own stories. And there are confessions there about sex and relationship, about body fluids. <laughs> so lots of oops moments, uh, revenge stories, which are fantastic revenge stories, parenting, of yeah. course. And yeah, just a really good mixture. And it's coming out in September as an audiobook, Kindle and everywhere, basically worldwide. I love that. So what is, <laughs> if you had to pick one, what is your favorite oh, confession? God. Oh God, people ask me that all the time, but I cannot choose one. I mean, the sex ones are always really good. There was one woman who confessed that her husband had come across her vibrator. She sort of was a bit apprehensive. She didn't want to tell him what it was. So she told him it was like a facial scrub and he still uses it on his face. You know? <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of uh, those type of really funny moments between partners, which I really like. Oh, there's, there's some really disturbing ones about people finding... <laughs> finding used tampons in the oh. most obscure places, including in up one's fanny that have just been really? there for a while. <laughs> I love the way you said yeah. up one's fanny. That's funny. <laughs> I love um, that. So there's there's a combination of like it's everything, isn't it? It's kind of like <laughs> the everything. best and the worst of us as well. Yeah. And it's kind of like yeah. getting it all out there so that if you've ever had these experiences or these thoughts, you're not alone oh, in yeah. them. And yeah. I think there's something really great. And you mentioned it to me earlier about sharing a secret. Yeah. And something really liberating about doing that. And I think, I think that you, so. you see that through that kind of thing, don't you? You see that in the moments when we're all giggling because we're talking about something that's happened. I yeah. love those moments because they're the real kind of human moments. Yeah. And I think that's what took me the most by surprise when it started and I would share a confession that I thought, oh, that's a bit out there, isn't it? Okay, uh, we're going to share it and just to tell people, don't judge, la la. And then you'd get like people in the comments and their name is showing, like they're not yeah. even anonymous going, well, actually, you know, I, I do this or actually, yeah, mm -hmm. I've had moments like that or wow, I'm so glad somebody else is experiencing this because I've had that. And then I realized we were really onto something because I think that is what it was all about, that kind of liberation. You know what? After reading thousands of confessions from people from all over the world, I can tell you for a fact that most of us have the same secrets. Really? Yeah. Most oh, people that's so hide interesting. the same things, are ashamed about the same things, feel guilt about similar kind of themes and have done the same outrageous things. And by the way, none of it is like a criminal or anything no. like really nasty. None of that. So I'm talking about like non-criminal, yes. you know. Most of us are not criminals or yeah, violent, non -violent or, you know. or anything like that. But to be honest, again, because the reach out was to my community and I really do think my community is amazing. I never got those type of messages yeah. to begin with. Like there was never anything that would have been like, oh God, I need to report this to police, you know, because I would yeah. have, but there was never any of that. So that's always a good thing, isn't it? When you don't have to yeah. bring the police. Me like, I'm writing a book and I just wanted to let you know that I've had this sent through to me. Now it's nothing to do with me, but I thought I should give you a heads up that, yeah. uh, you know, this person's been doing this and I'm not really sure that that's okay. I could imagine there is the potential to get that. But as you say, when you've built a community that are of like, minded people you can yeah. feel a bit more secure in that so mm -hmm. in your building of this community you are no stranger to kind of talking about your own secrets if you like your own kind of confessions you've talked about having an open marriage you've talked about all sorts of things how do you cope with 
the judgment that does come your way. I know you say when people are having the pajama party, they don't feed it. Well, I've noticed you're very good at talking to people and opening a dialogue in the way that you can converse with and almost knock off that judgment and get people to see from your point of view. You're always going to get the trolley comments and yeah. people like that. But how do you retain that level where you can talk to people and share points of view without it becoming nasty? I think I really like the block button and you know so yeah a lot of people feel like if they block people they're like a cop out I don't know I'm like why would I leave someone that's being insulting or abusive to me or to other people on my feed like why would I leave them there I don't see it as a cop out like no you want to have a conversation great you want to disagree fantastic but you do it in a certain way I'm up for it if you start becoming abusive there's no room for that you know so goodbye so I am not a stranger to the block, you know, option. But I also think that I have shared personal aspects of my life only when and where I wanted to have a bigger conversation. So for example, with the open marriage uh, thing, I have no interest in telling people the details of my marriage. And I've had so many requests for interviews that wanted to focus on that aspect. Uh, That's not what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is what I wanted to explore was the idea that women are portrayed as the less sexual side of a partnership. That if a man wants to potentially have more partners everybody goes well you know he's a man so you Mm. get it but when a woman wants to do that everybody goes what she's a whore something's wrong with her he's not delivering there's like an array of reactions that are Mm. so double standard and I talk a lot about sexism and double standards so for me that was the reason why I wanted to bring that into the conversation that was the reason to say actually you know everything they told us from an early age about how we're supposed to present our sexuality is bullshit and you can present your sexuality in any way you want. So that's kind of like where that came from. But yeah, I get a lot of support. A lot of people have written in and said, oh, these things apply on me as well. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad you opened this conversation. This is fabulous. A lot of them do it privately, by the way, because they don't want to get attacked in the comment section. But also a lot of people, like I said, because the community is so great, will say, this isn't for me, Tova, but if it works for you, good on you. Like, that's awesome. And then, of course, there'll be people who have their own opinions and strong opinions, and maybe they express them in a less polite way, you know, and they have something to say say about it and I don't really care what strangers think about me if I'm being really honest like it's, I love it may that. sound no, I uh, good. harsh but no. like I appreciate them taking the time to write but <laughs> I don't <laughs> I, care I mean I don't really care because I don't know them and I don't go away and get really upset about it and I used to so this wasn't always the case to anybody out there who maybe is dealing with the you know sort of online trolling or online criticism feedback it's not easy when I first started and all my content was about my children, people wrote the most horrendous things about me and my children, like horrible, horrible things. And I cried because it hurt my feelings. It did make me question myself like, oh my God, am I this horrible person that people are saying that I am? And it took time to sort of reach that point where I went, actually, they literally don't know me. Mm -hmm. They have literally made an opinion about me, probably just from one post, because most of these people, they don't research, they don't go and read everything. They don't watch every video you've ever made. They've just made an opinion from one post. Who really matters in my life are my husband, my children, and, you know, one or two of my very, very dear close friends who know me really well. And if I'm unsure about something, those are the people I will go to and those are the people I will ask. I do that with Mike all the time, all the time. Like, I'll say to him, what do you think? And he usually is the person to say, like, just, you're good. (laughs) 
it's all yeah, good. Like, that just... sounds very much like Adam. See, Adam is the one that I will go yeah. to because ultimately it's the ones that you love and the ones that yeah. love you that matter with their opinion. But that's so difficult. And what really interested me there is with you saying, you know, when you wrote about this particular taboo topic, people instantly wanted to interview you about the specifics. They wanted to interview you for yeah. the, what you might refer to as your gory details, that kind of thing. Because it's almost yeah. like if a woman, especially a mother as well, steps yes. out of that box that we've got her in, then we need to know everything about that. And we need to make it about that. And we need the details about that. And that really fascinates me is how we box women in particular, how we put them in these little boxes. Oh my God, but Harriet, it goes way beyond that. I've had people say to me, I think I wrote a post about it. Doesn't matter which newspaper, but a really Mm. big newspaper here in the UK wants to interview me about the topic. And I said, yeah, no problem. But this is the framework of what Mm. I want to talk about and what I'm happy or not happy to say. And then this reporter, and this is a quote, said to me, yeah, I'm just going to have to give a bit more to satisfy my male editor. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> and I said to her, well, I'm not really interested in satisfying your male editor because everything I had to say was from a woman's perspective. And women never asked me about the details. Women asked mm. me about the communication. What women wanted to know is how do I start such a conversation? Like, yes. how do I reach a point in my relationship that I can be so open with my husband to talk to him even about yeah. that? And not necessarily because that's what they wanted to talk to their partners about, just uh-huh. because they thought, well, if you could say that to him, that means you can say anything to him so how how does that happen and that's what they were interested about anyway but it's the male editor that kind of wanted the details yeah, and the, the details the everything else that goes with it and I think that says it all doesn't it I remember um, a newspaper wanting to talk to me in fact no it wasn't a newspaper it was a tv program a well-known one who wanted me to come on and I'd written a post about how being a stay-at-home parent was not a job because I'd written it from the perspective of how much more goes into it than what you would refer to yeah. as a job she'd job. taken the headline and was like oh so you think that you know stay-at-home moms are lazy and I was like whoa did you even read any of it like dude that's not what I wrote I wrote about how there's no other job in the world that would be 24-7 there's no other job in the world that would be so constant that would take yeah. this emotional toll that would not have this that would not have that that would have the expectation of what motherhood actually has and I swear to god she turned around and she said mm, yeah no that's a very very clever argument but I feel like that might just be a bit too much for our viewers <laughs> and I just thought your viewers yeah. are predominantly women you're in daytime tv believe me I'm pretty confident the majority of them on that wavelength it's just amazing how we put women in these neat little boxes and expect them to stay there and then when they don't it becomes a topic of almost morbid fascination and I love that when you talk about confessions you free that when you give women in particular the opportunity to share with one another and realize like you said what we think are our confessions and our secrets actually are pretty much the same for everybody and that's really fascinating And I think that having a platform that can reach X amount of people is great because it's happened to me before where, you know, I've had a direction of what I want to say and where I want to go with something be rejected by, for example, a newspaper thinking it's not the right direction and then posted it as my own article. And I see how many people clicked on it. And I'm thinking that was the wrong choice. You made the wrong choice. <laughs> you, you know? messed up. But, uh, you messed, you messed up. up. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I think it's huge how when women come together, we can do so many things and we're taught from an early age to kind of 
not come together and I think yeah yeah mistake on our behalf if you like to not come together I think you only realize it as you get older that you're not each other's enemy you're not against one another and that we can lift each other but again well but that's the thing I think we're trained to see the whole world through a male perspective and in the male Mm. perspective what we've been told is that you know there's 10 seats around the table and only one of them is dedicated to a woman so we fight over that one seat and in order to get to that seat we have to fight in the same way that men fight. But really, if what we changed was the idea that actually 10 seats around the table are available for women, then we wouldn't fight in that same way that we are now. I see it all the time. Yeah, it's a tricky one. So much goes into that, you know. Um, It does. That is an entire other episode, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think me and you could sit and rant about (laughs) sexism and feminism for hours. So I ask everybody at the end of the episode, if they could give me one mum hack that has seen them through or even life hack it can be anything we have had literally everything from I always have a little sandwich ready when I get home from school all the way through to someone has what they call a fuck it bucket that they put on their stairs and Mm. if their kids haven't put it away at the end of the day it goes into the bin wow I know me too I was sat there like hang on a minute I need a pen I need a pen let me make a note it was such a good she was like I have a bucket we call it the chuck it bucket around the kids but actually it's it's really a fuck and so she just they, collects things that were all their stuff the mm-hmm, that's thrown around the house and she puts it in a bucket on the steps and if those kids do not pick stuff up as they're on their way up to bed or they don't say hang on I'm just gonna go and put this away in whatever room it goes in the bin I love it I think it's great wow idea. I love so much that. of my kids that shit is... would be in the bin right now <laughs> yeah 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 for sure but I'm that mom that's like constantly like why is there stuff Yes. I'm gonna throw things in the bin and then I don't actually so that Same. that is a good piece of advice I'm gonna adopt that for when they were younger especially when traveling so the whole idea of having a bag full of snacks yeah. was great it was genius and it was told to me by a mom it was this orthodox Jewish mom on a flight with seven kids her oh. kids were just so well behaved and I just had one baby screaming the whole trip and I was like <laughs> I asked her what's your secret what's your secret and she opened this massive bag filled with snacks and I remember thinking God I used to once judge this mother thinking oh so you just give your kids food then I kind of thought this is genius like you do anything (laughs) to get through a flight don't you so that would probably be my tip for moms with younger kids (laughs) yeah so if you have younger kids and you are going on a flight or anything like that snacks are your best friend and I think from what I have had in my own experiences with kids they top trump even things like your tablet and that kind of thing because if you have snacks and I do it when I'm bored I like to nibble yeah. on something yeah a bit dodgy doesn't it but I do I like to nibble on something when I'm bored but if that's you as an adult yeah it's definitely going to be you as a kid and it can be anything can it it doesn't have to be unhealthy yeah. sex it doesn't have to be healthy sex it can be anything so I'm here for that I'm definitely I also I also have given up on just the idea of certain things that I thought would be really magical mm. being magical so like you know that idea of road trips of so three hours in the car singing songs and looking out the window <laughs> And mm-hmm. so like, mm-hmm. I've given up and I've accepted that they're not going to be magical and that we should just give them the iPad and they can mm-hmm. watch a movie and we can just sit there in silence, hoping that the movie's really long <laughs> and that we get there real quick, you know? Yeah. There's so much pressure, yeah. especially around when you travel with yeah. kids, of this idea yeah. that it's going to be a certain way. And I found in particular with my family that sometimes it is, sometimes it is, you know, they'll stop and they'll look a bit like, oh, 
look at that yeah. and it's wonderful yeah. and other times yeah. you'll go oh my goodness did you see that and it's like no they didn't see that because they were too busy looking at their iPad yeah. because they're chilling out and they don't yeah. want to talk to me and that's fine oh, oh, no. it's like, yeah. are we there yet we literally just left yeah <laughs> literally oh <laughs> and you know it's not gonna be a good one is it you can gauge how yeah. good your trip will be based upon yeah. how often yeah. your kids ask how close yeah. are we are we nearly there yet Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to me. Pleasure. It's been an absolute treat. And please let people know where they can find you and when your book and everything is out. So they can find me on all socials, Tova Lee, L-E-I-G-H. And the book is called You Did What? And it's dropping in stores in September, but also available on Kindle and audiobook worldwide on Amazon is probably the best place to find it. I cannot wait to get my copy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.